The Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference and the Boeing Company presents part one of Turning Disruptors into Enablers, a professional development seminar. Featuring Vice President, Global Head of Talent, Michael Cox. Vice President of Information Technology, Denise Russell Fleming. Vice President and General Manager, Kristen Robertson. Interim Director, IT and Data Analytics, David Canada, and Chief Engineer and CTO, Reynard Turpin. It has been said that necessity is the mother of invention. Real or imagined needs have always inspired a search for new and better ways to meet those needs. Along that journey, challenges present themselves requiring changes in course. Some of these changes are incremental steps while others are paradigm shifts. All can lead to accelerated progress if the obstacles are perceived as opportunities for positive change. The Boeing Company is a global leader in the aerospace and defense industry and has been for over a century. Come discuss with Boeing leadership about how to embrace diversity and inclusion, how to convert disruptors in technology, business, and your personal development into enablers for achievement. Without further ado, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference and the Boeing Company presents Turning Disruptors into Enablers, Part 1. Featuring Michael Cox, Denise Russell Fleming, Kristen Robertson, David Canada, and Renard Turpin. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Well, first of all, I wanna, I'm excited. I want to welcome everybody here to this morning to the uh, Global Catalyst for Change, making the untapped potential possible. That's a great topic. I'm excited about this topic because you're talking about a lot of things happen, change. As you know, changes can be hard, right? Be a little difficult. It's necessary, but it's good. I, I like to use an example of a tree, a fruit tree. In order to get fruit from a tree, with all the branches on it, and some of the branches are dead. There's no life, right? But when you cut those branches off, what happens to that fruit tree? It produces what? More fruit. And this is in our lives, as well as in our day-to-day -day activities, as well as in our business. Change is hard, but change is good and it's necessary. Sometimes with change, we, we've been doing this for so many years the same way, over and over and expecting a different result. But with change comes diversity. Hmm? The old saying is, iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens irons. If I look at how this country was made, it was made on what? It was a, what? It's a melting pot, right? From all over. And this is what strengthens us and makes us grow and get stronger. So I'm, I'm going to stop because this is a great panel here. And I don't want to steal any thunder from anybody. But I'd like to bring up uh, our team um, that put this conference on, I mean, put this seminar on each and every year. I'd like to have them come up to be introduced. Uh, Dr. Nathan Brooks, did he slip out? Uh, come on up. <laughs> I'd like to bring up uh, Mr. Eugene Johnson. Where, where's Gene? 
Oh, he slipped out. Oh, yeah, he did. All right. How about uh, Miss uh, Kara Washington? And, uh, of course, uh, Miss Nia Jenner. So we get together every year where we sit down and we look at the topic that Bayer sends to us. And we spend time writing an abstract, putting an abstract together, as well as putting questions for this great panel. And then we have an opportunity to select the panel, who we think would be really good for the topic. So we spend, oh gosh, quite a bit of time. And I, I get the pleasure of working with them and letting, using their ideas. And I, so I take no credit because the credit goes right here. Okay, so with that being said, I just want to give them a round of applause and, and say thank you. So what I'm going to do right now, I've already said what I had to say, so I'm going to turn this over to Mr. David Canada. He's going to be your moderator, and he's going to introduce himself, what he does, as well as his panel. Thank you. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. So uh, my name is David Canada. I'm currently serving as the interim director within IT, in IT and data analytics, and I'm responsible for mergers, acquisitions, and strategy integration. And it's my pleasure to welcome you guys here to this panel and our illustrious guests. Um, one of the things I want to make sure that before I introduce the panelists is for you guys to truly understand that this is meant to be completely interactive. It's not really meant for me to just be peppering them with questions. They really want to hear questions from, and questions from you guys and keep the dialogue going. I, so first of all, I'd like to say hello to everyone. And I, I love the fact that we've got so many Boeing people in the room. And I would challenge you, if you're Boeing, to find the people that aren't Boeing, like David just challenged them to find us. You find them because this is some top talent at this conference and we need to get to know them. So just offering that up as a Boeing challenge. And congratulations to our winners in the room too. I'm Michael Cox, I'm Vice President and Global Head of Talent for Boeing. Um, I'm probably uh, a minority in the Boeing group because I've only been with the company two years, which basically makes me a really new hire. Um, I have responsibility for all things talent. So all of our recruiting, our workforce planning, our executive search, uh, I also do have responsibility for talent management, which is the movement of our talent internally. I partner very closely with all the other COEs across HR, including our new Jedi team, Global Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, uh, as well as Total Rewards and our HR business partners, as well as business leaders from our talent needs. So it's an honor to be here. I think my biggest aha moment um, as a leader in developing came from building on the appreciation of diversity. And that is from a standpoint of how we all interpret the world differently. We all have different perspectives. We've come from different places and upbringings. I was just in the Dean's breakfast. And I loved hearing a lot of the recipients talk about how their family had been key to their success and getting them to where they are today. Um, but some people may not have that kind of background. Some people may have experienced a lot of privilege. Other people may have experienced a lot of challenges. And I think as a leader, when I look into people's eyes and when I talk to people, I try to remember that the story behind them is maybe much different than myself or maybe very similar. 
And I try to approach it from that way. And that gives me a much better appreciation um, to helping people work through change, to having conversations about careers and aspirations. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to this panel today from a disruptive side, because my perspective is disruptive from a human capital standpoint. So thank you for having me here today. All right, so I'm Renard Turpin, Space and Launch, uh, Chief Engineer and CTO. Uh, my aha moment, so it goes back about 10 years ago. It's, it's really realizing that the power in this organization, in this company, is the people. Uh, my role as Chief uh, Technology Officer is to insert new technologies and bring new solutions to customers. Uh, for Chief Engineering, it's to make sure that as we go through development programs that we're actually producing products uh, that undermine the, or actually underpin the safety, quality, and integrity for everything that we do. But really just going back to what does that mean in terms of harvesting the power of everyone, that really, that, that realization I came to 10 years ago, and how do we actually accomplish that? Every executive here has an executive brand. It's, it's their identity that they show up to work with. Um, Minds is centered around making sure that we can leverage diversity to integrate across all of the special talent that we have in this organization uh, and this company as a, as a whole. The technology is great that we insert, but it means nothing compared to the people that are behind it and driving it. So as I've elevated through the executive ranks uh, of the company, my focus has been solely on making sure that we leverage the thoughts of every individual in the company, because that is where the power lies. So. That's my aha moment. That's what I like to build upon, and that's what my executive brand is based on. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Denise Russell Fleming, and I have responsibility for IT for Boeing Defense, Space, and Security, uh, which to me is one of the coolest jobs um, because um, our product set spans from seabed with a lot of things that Kristen and her team do to our fighter jets, to our space programs, satellite programs, et cetera. So the whole portfolio and the job that my team and I have is how do we provide the technology that digitally enables this team to be much more effective and make informed decisions based on some of the data that we have available. And so I've been with the Boeing company just over three years, so I'm still a newbie too, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to believe, I guess. Um, and so for me, my aha moment, and I've like I'm sitting on Oprah's couch. Um, but my aha moment was um, earlier in my career, and it's more about your attitude around change. And so uh, the company that I was in, you know, cyclically went through all of these reorgs, and I would just get so kind of tense waiting for this change to come. And I had in my mind made what all the possible outcomes were, and the majority of them were not great. And so I kind of awfulized what was going to happen to me. And, you know, I get on the other side of this reorg and I'm like, oh, actually, I kind of got some things that are kind of cool. I'm doing something different. Um, it may not have been exactly what I picked for myself, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. So I made it up in my mind that I wasn't going to have the wrong attitude going into it. So I realized that I had the ability to control how I felt about the change. And, you know, and if it wasn't exactly what I wanted on the other end, I still had the ability to be able to do something to make that change. But it was about my attitude. So for me, that was my aha moment. Let's see, 
My name's uh, Christian Robertson. Um, I've probably been with uh, Boeing the longest on this panel, going on 25 years. Yes, that's a long time. So <laughs> I'll talk a little bit about my job because I get really excited about my job, and I would be remiss in this audience if I did not talk to you about seabed to space autonomy. So I get the great privilege of leading Boeing Defense's autonomous systems. So we have uh, swimmers, uh, divers, and way high flyers, and I'll talk a little bit about what that means. You know, products that range from uh, a fully autonomous um, submarine, 85 feet long, I mean, game changing in what it's gonna do. Um, Eco-friendly uh, swimmers, comm nodes, um, we have unmanned and fully autonomous aircraft that range from small to large. I grew up in the 70s, so I am a little dated, but I, I, I share that because, again, back to you know my job, I get to, to bring all those fantasies of like Star Wars. The original Star Wars was like in 1977, and I was eight years old, and it, it's to be able to do this job and bring those kind of technologies to bear today what was only imagined and had such an impression on my life. And speaking to a group of uh, STEM, uh, leaders, leaders today and leaders tomorrow. I just want to impart that some of those fantasies that you might see in the movies or dream about, I am so blessed to be able to make that a reality with this job. And I'd love to have all of you come uh, work on our team with us, whether in Boeing, and, and uh, some of my greatest fans are in the front row and they know, so come talk to me after. Um, and, and we are we are open, we are accepting resumes, <laughs> come on over. Um, we are one of the largest uh, uh, growth businesses, right? So fastest growing, so you wanna work on fun, exciting, new technology. I mean, that's what Boeing has to offer. And I'm so proud, I mean, regardless of what, you know, we're, we're going through a little bit of a tough time with the 3-7. I fly so much, how many in that room flew to get here? Most likely you did fly on a Boeing airplane, right? And I'm so proud every time I get in one, and I know just based on the culture and the values um, that um, you know our products are awesome, and I never doubt in my mind because it's you and the people, and we've heard that from several. So um, blessed to work in such a fun portfolio um, and our mission, you know, that's what makes me tick every day when I think about, um, you know, inspiring that next generation with connecting, protecting, exploring, and inspiring. Um, it's our customers. But um, my aha moment, uh, for me, it was really in, similar to Denise's story, but a little different spin. And it was really um, back to when I realized I was actually empowered. So it's like the light bulb went off that I could be part of the change, I could lead change, and I could be the change that needed to be. And so it needed to come from within, so I needed to be empowered. And then coupled with that was there was a, uh, a point in my career um, where I grew up in a big family and a little bit long-winded, but we got like an hour and a half anyway, so. <laughs> uh, that, um, you know, uh, we always were encouraged, and my mother uh, came from a different country. She always encouraged us to debate at the dinner table. I mean, sometimes knock down debates, uh, ranging from topics, encouraged risk taking. And so when I came to, um, to work at first, I didn't know any different. And I share this story because sometimes you, you try to conform 
and I conformed because somebody tapped me on the shoulder and kind of pushed me back in my box uh, and said, you know, that's kind of not, not acceptable or, you know, you can't do this and that. Um, and at some point, I realized I needed to trust my instincts and do what's right and be authentic and true to myself. And that's when I developed my, uh, you know, that was kind of my aha moment. I was empowered to be change and to lead change and to just trust my own instincts. So I just shared a little bit long-winded story, but thank <laughs> no, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so oftentimes when you think about change, there has to be some sense of disruption. Like there has to be a little bit of ripples in the water to cause things to actually change. So what I'd like to hear from the panel, um, starting starting back, no, you start with Kristen. <laughs> um, what are some of the biggest disruptors that affect business, technology, or personal development, i.e. career, education, et cetera, today or in the near future? Yeah, and I think kind of um, going back to, to autonomy in the business, I, I mean, the pace of technology is certainly probably one of the, the often thought as the biggest disruptor, mm -hmm. but really, and I heard this yesterday at the, at the lunch, you know, it's, it's really people and the change that are really, technology is the, enable, the enabler, but people are really what is going to help the change and the adoption of the change. So I think you can't have, you can have the technology, but if people aren't ready for it, and I go back to the Star Wars, right? I mean, think how many years ago that was all those big ideas. And now it's like, it's, just, it's kind of routine. It's, I mean, it's just amazing to think. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, um, having diverse teams, having ideas and perspectives, and changing hearts and minds is really what is the disruptor. Um, and I've seen that come to fruition. I see Pat Dolan um, uh, in the room, and Pat was a, uh, a, a, he was my boss at one point in time, a great coach and leader. I'm very thankful at a point in my life, uh, led through a big change in culture um, that has resulted in a, a game-changing product, and it was Pat's leadership and coaching of the entire team and bringing um, a very diverse team together um, to, to break a cycle mm -hmm. and change how we develop products, how we think about things, and it was bringing that diversity of ideas together, empowering and encouraging. So while technology, it's, it's way cool, and you gotta have it, you gotta have the hearts and the minds um, with it. Um, David, you asked, I think, I might have missed on the part about, like, um, uh, you know, from a career and disruptor. So yeah, maybe, it could have been technology yeah, or career. So I think I'll just maybe share uh, briefly, um, you know, being open to change. And I think that's the other piece is, um, you know, whether it's a job change, a life change, um, or other, you've got to have the openness and the willingness to be able to, um, uh, to step across, take risks, and be open about it, because I wouldn't be where I am in my career if I hadn't taken risks and hadn't been open to change. I think those are, that can be a real disruptor in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. And grow. Denise? Yeah. So, um, kind of in my IT space, I say one of the biggest um, disruptors is around uh, cybersecurity from a technology standpoint. And you think about a lot of the regulations that change and uh, the implications of that, when you think about the internet of things, I mean, you've got a, a, a risk pointing in your house in the refrigerator, the digital refrigerator that is helping you to, you know, <laughs> order your groceries. Um, so, you know, it's everywhere, not just in, you know, kind of the, the large products that we build, but 
you know, that's also an area as well. So how do you build a very secure aircraft? How do you ensure that all the technology that you use to build that is secure? And, you know, with that comes opportunity. Um, because, you know, the people that understand the importance of how do you ensure that you protect those systems? How do you understand those emerging threats? And, um, you know, we have uh, one of our tech fellows, Nia Jita, who we <laughs> met earlier, um, and that is her area of expertise. And, um, you know, so you think about that, autonomous, you think about artificial intelligence. And so all of these technology changes create opportunity for people who are willing to lean in and learn that technology and um, continue to keep pace with change. Um, you know, I was reading something a while ago and they were talking about, you know, kind of the half-life of technology. So how long does it take um, for that technology to have half the value that it did when it initially came out? So in, you know, the 1900s, it was like, you know, it was like 100 years. It wasn't that much time, you know, and in like 1940s, it became like a year to 18 months. And now they say it's like 12 hours. Mm -hmm. There's so much data, information, um, knowledge that becomes available that, you know, if you are not current, you will be left behind. And so, um, you know, the technology change is critical. And to Kristen's point, you know, the people keeping up with that and staying ahead of it and understanding what's on that next wave that I need to be learning will keep all of you in this room in a position where you have options and opportunities to um, come to companies like Boeing to help to demonstrate those skills and build those skills um, on an ongoing basis. So I just want to reinforce uh, what's been said before. Um, right now, we know that it's, it, the pace of technology is accelerating. The half-life is decreasing. Uh, capabilities of our technology, Moore's Law, they're all improving over time. Uh, so how do we actually take advantage of that complexity uh, that's being introduced and use it for our good? Not try to simplify it, but how do we manage it and leverage it? So looking at this from a technology perspective, you know, your priority goes on how do I get people to actually own that technology, to master it, and then more importantly, how do we look across to our neighbor and our coworker and make decisions that are great on a global scale, right? Uh, at Boeing, we term that operational excellence. There are many different ways that we do that, um, but understanding that you need functional excellence and uh, depth is, is one place to start, but in terms of being able to explore your career, you really have to look outside of your core competency. And, and that's what we do, we encourage that. Um, but as a leader, uh, the priority goes to how do you create avenues of communication? How do you put the tools in place to enable that? And so when you ask what are the enablers and the disruptors, uh, I really point back to things like artificial intelligence, the machine learning uh, that have been mentioned before. But in addition to that, it's model-based engineering. And I like model-based engineering because it's, it's synonymous with everything that we're talking about here in diversity and inclusion. A model-based engineering is not a tool. It's, it's a concept. It's a culture. What it means is that we're going to aggregate all of the strengths of the company from finance to manufacturing to engineering and making sure that we're making decisions on a value-based, just based on value going forward. So we're clear in, in flowing down an overall strategy, communicating that, but ultimately coding that into the system where the action of every individual, every minute, is being directed towards competitiveness with an underlying foundation of safety, quality, and integrity. And when you have model-based engineering in place and the tools in place to do that, <coughs> the rate 
in which you can iterate on designs and optimize your solutions and explore new possibilities is tremendous. Uh, we've adopted this uh, many times in our satellite industry. It's, it's resulted in numerous wins. We're actually starting an entirely new product line of satellites. It's based on machine learning. We're actually having machines design our satellites. Uh, we're introducing artificial intelligence, advanced manufacturing techniques to actually manufacture the satellites as well, print them after they've been designed. And that is once again because the pace at which technology in the world is advancing uh, requires that we work together and integrate. So you can take all of those concepts and pretty much extrapolate those to humanity, how we inter interact as people, but just going back to the engineering focus, the model-based engineering is, is the focal point. So David, I'm gonna take the question from the disruptors to change and innovation and put it on the human side, sure. because you ask what kind of stands in the way of that yes. sometimes. What I see, and I've been with several organizations, I will say Boeing is the best organization. I'm not just saying that because I'm looking at so many Boeing people. <laughs> I'm saying that because it's absolutely true for all the reasons that the other panelists have mentioned. But what I see stands in the way of innovation and what disrupts change is human nature. It's muscle memory, right? We all get used to doing the same things that we've always done. And what's the definition of insanity? Always doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome. And yet, as organizations, we do it every day. And we marvel at, well, why didn't that work? Well, it's because you did it the same way that didn't work the past 10 times. Maybe it worked the 11th time ago, but it doesn't work now. And um, just gauging from the audience, I could probably throw out some names like Blockbuster um, <laughs> and others. What, how they got disrupted was they couldn't see the change coming. And by the time it got to them, it was too late. Um, so for all the reasons the other panelists have mentioned, I think at, a, at Boeing, we do an amazing job of staying ahead. And one of the things I see that we do well is continuous learning. So we have just launched a digital campus over the past year. We have over 40,000 active employees in that digital learning space right now. Our Learning Together program, which will uh, pay for degrees in any STEM-related field related to a job or a potential job at Boeing, incredible benefits to help feed that continuous learning. But it's all about changing that mindset um, and all about changing that muscle memory so that you are open to accepting that change. You are open to embracing it no matter where you are in your career. No, Michael, you bring up a really good point. Everyone understands that change is hard. Does everyone agree with that? Yes. I think one of the challenges, though, is we often don't know when's the right time to make a change. Like, you have to really, truly try to figure out, should I ride the wave and try to figure this out long term? Or is it really time to, like, put my foot in the ground and pivot? So, Michael, I'm going to start with you with this question. How do you know whether it's time to switch strategies or stick with the current plan? So I'm gonna take probably a different approach to that and I'm gonna say, it doesn't matter if it's the right time, it's what you do with the decision you make when you make it. If you make the decision and you continually look behind to see if you can, if you kind of armchair quarterback yourself, then I guarantee you that decision is not gonna work out to be the right decision. But if you make that decision and you go you go boldly in the direction of the decision you've made and you use all the resources available at your, at your fingertips and, and within your realm to, 
to work through whatever that decision was, then that was the right decision. Um, I'll use my personal career as an example. I've been with Bank of America, I've been with Walmart, I've been with Comcast, and now I'm with Boeing. So sometimes when I talk to other people at Boeing, I name that, they're looking at me like, are you a job hopper? <laughs> but then I explained to them, my career in those different companies is no, it's not dissimilar to the careers they've had at Boeing, except instead of going from BCA to BDS to others, I've gone from company to company. At no time have I ever gone to a new company and looked back and said, ooh, was that the right idea? Was that the right thing to do? What I've done is I've said, I have done this before. How can I do it better? And one of the things, and, and she said it in a very um, uh, respectful way today, but one of the speakers at the Dean's Breakfast this morning that was receiving one of the awards, um, she was talking about early on in her life, she lost her father. And what I heard from that, even though she didn't tell the full story, is she has been through very difficult things in her life, and she uses that strength to get through difficult things today. And I think that's exactly what we have to do in order to make sure that we don't second-guess our decisions, that we use the learning from that, and then we make better decisions in the future. I think Michael's uh, spot on. Um, I think you have to constantly adapt uh, as time goes. So you're always evaluating your decisions um, based on new inputs, new environments, new situations, and, and leveraging your strengths to counter any type of threats that approach. And that's whether it's in your personal life, your career. I think complacency is, is really uh, the enemy. You want to stay away from that. Uh, so in a business environment, uh, we're always looking at what are the new trends that are coming about and how are our competitors uh, affecting us and where are our strengths, where are our weaknesses, and how do we need to adapt. And the second element to that is making sure that you're actually agile enough to execute that change once you identify it. And I'm going to sound like a broken record today, but that agility comes back from do you have the communications paths, do you have that operational excellence set up in your company structure so that you can actually leverage uh, your coworkers, your friends, uh, so that you can execute that change to move out on. But it's all about speed and agility and making sure that you understand what environment you're working in and trying to compete. You're listening to Turning Disruptors into Enablers, a professional development seminar featuring Michael Cox, Denise Russell Fleming, Kristen Robertson, David Canada, and Reynard Turpin. Brought to you by the Boeing Company and the Global Catalyst for Change, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference, where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Totally agree with that. And I'll pick up on that compete comment you just made. And, you know, I think it's about really listening to your customers. Um, and if you are very attuned to what's going on, listening to what their needs are, and paying attention to what's happening in the broader market, you'll get a sense of when it's time to change. Uh, because you don't want to be the blockbuster. Um, that you have to be very attuned to that. And, you know, think about change as something that's an enabler in your toolkit, um, that you are 
uh, you know, comfortable with experimentation and um, trying new things that uh, get you to a point where, you know, it's, it's innate in you that it's time for you to, to pivot and do something different. And so I think it's that listening piece um, that kind of gives you that indicator of when it's time to make an adjustment. And I'll just uh, pick up, thanks, Denise and Michael. I really loved how you uh, kicked off with once a decision's made, don't second guess it. That really resonated with me. I, I recall back very early in my career, a leader said, uh, shared with me, you know, everybody loves change except when it's happening to them, right? Um, but, but change can be good because it's a sense of renewal and refreshing. And sometimes um, m my belief is that change is more of a process. And I think um, almost at some point, and I know Pat and I lived through this, where a little bit, little bit of chaos is not a bad thing, right? So when you have craziness and you have a bit of chaos, if you can get that to a controlled point, it's like that's where innovation and change occurs. Um, you could relate that to like an exercise uh, routine, right? Where, you know, you, you exercise, you do kind of the same maneuvers or you're on the same run and, okay, I'm, I'm not beating my time. I'm not developing any more muscles. I'm not getting any sharper. Um, and you just, you got to mix it up. And sometimes that, that chaos, but in a controlled manner, um, can, can be really good. And, and the outcome on the other side, and I think back just kind of personally from a, Denise's point about listening, it being the right time, and then bringing those elements together can be very, very powerful um, and being open to it. Cool, perfect. So before I proceed, I wanted to see if there was any questions from the audience. And Nia, I know you said you had a question come in. Hi, everybody. So this is a question by text from the audience. Can we talk about what we, the Boeing Company, is doing to make certain that knowledge transfer on enduring programs is thriving between senior engineers and new career engineers? The mentoring program is a great tool, but how do we make sure that early career team members are reached? Who wants to start? <laughs> so at, for, for me in my space, one of the things that we do is to try to make sure we're bringing early career folks to the table and not just in small roles, but giving them meaningful work that allows them to be able to really make an impact. And in a lot of cases, they will do that in partnership with some of the more senior folks in the IT team. And so, you know, it's about, you know, ensuring that they come to the table. Um, and, you know, in, in, my, in my team, we have uh, someone that serves in the chief of staff role. She's a bit more junior, but we have her come into the meetings and she contributes in her responsibility is important to um, her contributions are important for her to be able to for us to be able to think differently and so I think when you're open to that um, that you create the environment where you're going to have a lot more of that collaboration and you know it creates an environment where people don't feel like they have to hold on to information so some of our senior folks feeling like they have to um, you know, maintain that is, you know, some uh, knowledge that, you know, makes them more valuable. The value isn't being able to transfer that and bringing more people to the table so that we can actually have a better outcome and a better solution. So, you know, I think it's, it's incumbent upon each one of the managers to be able to, to think about that. And, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about that from a, a planning standpoint about the team, because we have a lot of folks that have a lot of experience. And, you know, Michael and I were talking about we're, you know, kind of newbies at two and three years. We have a lot of tenure um, in our organization and people are going to start to find their second act. 
Um, so it's incumbent upon us to do that. And, you know, I think those individual practices of engagement of earlier career folks and doing that pairing so everyone sees this of value and not as something to be defensive about. Yeah, Denise, I'll, I'll add on that. In, a, in autonomous systems, you know, we were a blend of some existing franchises, but more of a startup. And so um, with, with not a lot of infrastructure or core or a lot of, uh, you know, and I think we, I, I heard re referred to earlier, you know, a lot of that muscle memory, we're like creating at the same time we're having to execute. So really trying to leverage some of the talent that has the knowledge in a very complex space. Um, and then we've got a lot of wonderful talent coming in that we need to really harness. So it, I think it's really a matter of, and what we're trying to do is, make the time and space and create the deliberate opportunities because that's what you have to do and create the space as leaders, whether it's um, our time through projects or coaching or listening um, through mentoring circles and then trying to encourage that to ripple out. So you have it at peer to peer um, across and where we can leverage a network and opportunities so I think those are some things that we need to do. I think we need to leverage more partnerships across like with universities, with um, globally. You know, how do we bring more of the outside in so we can learn and create long enduring relationships? Um, I know we do a lot of that really well in Michael's organization, but um, in the autonomous space, we're trying to reach across in each one of our regions and make sure there's, there's hooks, if you will, or anchors um, where we have projects for um, university and academia, and then we pull that in um, and develop those longstanding partnerships and relationships. So those are some other ways, too, to help with the knowledge transfer and going both ways, what's coming, um, what we have inside and what's on the outside, and we bring that to us because we have to change, too, and we need to bring some of those practices in, as Denise talked about, at the pace of technology. So those are just some of it. We, we have a lot to do. So would be really interested in a sidebar after to hear what your thoughts are on what else we should be doing. Because we're in and uh, we've got to change in order to, uh, to continue to thrive in the future. So I want to add a perspective too, because a lot of times we ask that question about what are we doing to transfer knowledge from that senior person to the earlier career person. Um, Early in my career, I learned that that's a two-way street. So there's, there's things I can learn from everybody I'm looking at right now, probably a whole lot, but there's a lot I can learn from from what I'm looking at. So when we think about knowledge transfer, I would challenge you, no matter where you are in your career, to figure out what you can give, but then figure out what you need to get, and then find that person to get it from. And that means if you're an early career or still a student, or if you're a senior executive in a company, find that two-way path and make sure that you're accessing that because it's easy. Uh, in, a, in a prior organization, we used to talk a lot about digital natives. And then the opposite of that's the digital dinosaurs. Well, as Denise said a while ago, it doesn't take very long in today's age to become a dinosaur, right? A few years and you're out. So make sure that you've got that two-way path going where you're not only giving that knowledge transfer, but you're also receiving that knowledge transfer. And I'd like to add that, um, so all of the input has been spot on in terms of how do you actually uh, facilitate that transfer. Uh, but you also need to accelerate it. 
uh, make sure that, and you can, one of the tools that we like to use through that is um, empowerment and empowerment of change. So in the satellite industry, 60 years of development and blood, sweat and tears, losses, successes, failures have gone into establishing all the processes that we have in place today. Uh, so it's kind of a conundrum when you have new employees and you bring them in and say, follow all of these processes, but make change. Uh, so what I like to do is say, why don't you change those processes, but you can't go around them. Like I said, everything that we do is undermined by underpinned with safety, quality, and integrity. But you can go through them. And if you teach someone how to go through a process, that means they need to understand its, its, its legacy, why it's there, um, what are the lessons learned in terms of putting that process in place. And then they can bring themselves to the table and say, this is how I can add additional value. It encourages them to seek uh, an understanding of the value chain of how the business operates. And then they own that process. Um, once you establish that type of relationship uh, and that opportunity for someone that's coming into the company, that accelerates uh, that overall knowledge transfer process. All right, perfect. Do we have any other questions coming in? Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name morning. is Glenn Shanks. I am a first line leader on Mesa and experimental flight test for vertical lift. So I have a question. It, it kind of ties back to when to pivot. So can you talk about a time where you were, you've been the primary leader or champion of a change initiative that was too important not to happen? but it ultimately stagnated or stalled or, or even failed. How'd you go about building up your personal credibility to regain those followers and re-energize the movement to really make it happen? So um, this was a different company, but I was brought in to lead a change initiative and take five different IT organizations to one. It was gonna make us much more efficient, drive costs, et cetera. So I'm coming in brand new, don't really know a lot of the culture and kind of politics and all this stuff. So I put my little plan together and I go out, do my road show and explain to people kind of what we're gonna do. And, you know, talking to some people and getting some insight and, you know, went to my first kind of major site, things were going good. People were receptive, they got it. Went to the second site, yeah, okay. Last site, they looked at me like, you know what? We're just gonna look at you and let you tell this story and you're gonna go away eventually and we're gonna wait for you to go away and we're not going to do what it is you want to do. And, um, you know, I had to, you know, kind of figure out what happened, <laughs> go back and talk with some people and, you know, kind of recognize the folks at that site rarely had a lot of pride in things being done there and not getting ideas from outside. And I realized that I've missed a step in my process of really kind of getting some of the expertise from the folks in these different locations to help build my plan. And um, so I quickly realized I needed to pivot and um, you know, kind of set up a bit of a council to get engagement from folks across those different key locations to be able to help to make some adjustments. Um, I realized that there was a lot of legacy. They had tried doing this before and it didn't work. Um, I still had some of the elements of those things, had some new stuff, but it wasn't new enough for them to make them feel like this was gonna work. Um, but together we came up with a better plan. And then I went back out on the road and you know, it wasn't 100% correct, but I was closer to 90. Um, and that was good enough for me to be able to continue work with that council, make the adjustments, and then get the job done. Um, but, you know, you, I, I hit a pretty quick brick wall, so it was a little bit obvious for me that it was time to pivot. But um, with some help, got back in the right direction. Yeah, 
Denise, I think your key point that you emphasize there is, you know, the timing and acceptance. And I know I talked about hearts and minds before, and there are many failures I've had <laughs> in my career. And as I look back, you know, not having buy-in from the team is really important. You can have the greatest idea, but if the team's not on board or the customer's not on board or the timing's not right, it's, it's not going to work. And you got you to be open and be listening um, so that you can recognize that. And the most important thing is having the team, and you, you talked about that, you know, making an idea um, collective and build on it and make that idea even better. So that was probably a big learning for me uh, early on was how do you build on an idea and get, get buy-in and, uh, and it will go much further than just pushing it and, uh, you know, ending, falling flat. So I, I loved what you said, and I couldn't agree more in my experience, too. Yeah, I'd like to share just an experience. So coming into the Boeing company, uh, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder in the hiring process. So I graduated um, as in one of my extracurricular activities. I played sports and I was a Pac-10 champion for football. And I'll, but I also did quite a bit of extensive research on vertical cavity surface emitting lasers, quantum, quantum layer diodes, all these things that I was trying to get people to see. And they would always go to, can you join my football team after work? And uh, <laughs> I'm like, look, there's a lot more here. But I really suppressed my football background in the beginning of my career because I wanted people to see my intellectual prowess, right? Um, but at some time, at some point, uh, the satellite industry was not getting any orders. We, we hadn't had sales in a couple of years. Morale was going down. People were leaving the company. People were retiring. And we were kind of in a, in a ditch. And at that point, uh, many of you are, are veterans. Many of you are um, athletes. One thing that you realize is that this company acts as a team. We act as family. Um, so I was able to kind of go back to that type of environment and say, hey, I had an experience where the prior year before we were undefeated and Pac-10 champions, we were three and eight. And it felt exactly <laughs> like it did, um, we didn't have any sales. I mean, people were quitting, uh, morale was in a ditch. Um, but what I did was I took a picture of me and my co-captains back then, and we were locked we were locked with our arms together, we were holding hands, and um, everyone in the company kind of looked at that, and you saw this look in their eyes, and you kind of saw the zeal of people wanting to help at that time. Uh, but as a leader, I realized that I had to say the word help and empower and enlist people uh, so that we can actually solve that problem together. So um, being able to do that was was really the inflection point for my career. And that really changes. I can go back to that point in time. You can actually see we started to win at that point. We became champions. So um, very relevant experience there. So I'll share my football experience. <laughs> None. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my team knows if I start to use the sports analogy, it's going to go wrong. So I won't, <laughs> I won't do that, but you can help me out. Um, so I, one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my career, I was new into a role, new with a company, but the problem was I was using my old tapes. And I was using the thing that had worked for me in that last company, and I was using the terminology and even in some cases the data and the processes. And the team I had was all about it. They were following it. The executive team I had, I was speaking a different language. And I had not taken the time to learn and to talk to my customers about their needs. So I quickly found out I had a lot of support from the team and no support from the leadership. 
And so what I did is I stepped back and really did a lot of soul searching because I was applying my standards, my beliefs, my history to a group of people who did not share that at all. And it was probably at that moment I became a better leader from a diversity standpoint because I realized the world is not made up of the demographics of people just sitting in this room. The world is made up of every kind of person, thoughts, belief, background, you know, that you see today in society. And so remembering that when I approach issues at work, whether it's team, whether it's services that my function would provide, approaching it from looking at that holistic view and learning to speak the language, um, I think has made me a more effective leader. I will also add one piece to that question I think is important. And that is being brave enough as a leader to be transparent when you don't have the perfect answer and when you need your team's help. One of the things I'm proud of at Boeing is I've assembled a team of experts in their field. And I know at any given time they could do whatever they're doing without me. But the good news is we've all figured out how to add value. But I also know that I can be transparent and say, look, we're in a mess right now. What are we going to do? How can we pull together? And by doing that, I can bring out the best. I can bring the best out of ten people instead of what the one answer that one person thinks. Please describe the characteristics of empowerment. What does empowerment look like? Is empowerment defined by the characteristics of the individual or the characteristics of the environment in which the individual is, in is performing? And just a quick note to the person who asked the process question. I feel like that was well answered by Renard's answer when he was talking about process. Text message me again if you want me to ask it anyway, and it will be next. Yeah, Nia, yeah. I, I, I think, and I talked about this early on, just from my personal perspective, when I talk about my aha moment, right, about having to be empowered and open to change. So I think there's a little bit, it's got to occur in yourself. And I think the environment piece is really important. So, you know, as leaders, um, whether you're in an, a formal role or an informal role, creating that environment where people can speak up, where ideas can be shared, where you can collaborate, where you can debate. You know, we talked about, um, Michael, and you mentioned that in your last remarks, you know, having diverse perspectives, but be in being able to talk things out in a respectful manner. Um, and then get to the other side where there's there's understanding. That's what creates um, a stronger team and empowerment and alignment so that you can go fast. So I, I think those are just some things. It's gotta be in the individual, it's gotta be um, part of the environment. Other thoughts? I'll talk a little bit about uh, how we implement that. So uh, for chief engineering, uh, one of the tenants is safety. Uh, on, on the other side, it's innovation. Uh, two things that the company is doing is making sure that any individual in the company can raise an issue that affects Boeing's reputation, personnel safety, or hardware safety. Uh, that is one form of empowerment, but the key tenet to that is having an avenue of communication that goes right to the top of, of the company, and it also is a wide and diverse uh, means of communicating so that you can get alternate perspectives. Um, the science that we're involved in is very precise um, in, in space. We have to design machines that operate with 99.99% probability. Um, so one assumption that can be slightly off from, 
uh, as a result of not having the proper diversity of input uh, can, can be a disastrous assumption. Uh, so that's, that's one thing where we empower employees to improve our safety and risk posture for the company. On the other side, it's innovation. Uh, everyone has their day-to-day -day job that they're responsible for doing, for executing in a tactical manner. Um, but we also are very creative. We see everything that's happening in the company, so how can we contribute? So edific edification um, in terms of what is the entrepreneurial process, what's our value stream, and providing avenues through innovation sales uh, where we can actually propose, our employees can impose uh, new concepts to be implemented is, one, is another avenue. So making sure that people can communicate in terms of innovation and safety, um, are those are two key tenets that we have. I'll add to that. So I, I think one key part around empowerment and creating the environment and is uh, tied to psychological safety. And so I see our head of employee health and safety, Brian Scott, here in the room. And when you um, talk about uh, making sure that people feel that they can bring their full voice into the room, they feel that if their idea is um, brought into the room, it won't automatically be rejected, it would be embraced. Um, and if people feel like um, as their leader and as their teammate that you're going to have their back, um, then if you tell somebody they're empowered to do something and you, they, that's been demonstrated in the environment, it creates a safe environment. You encourage people to lean in. Um, if there's failure, um, you talk about that. You talk about what we could have done differently. Um, and you don't, you know, squash that innovation. I think that helps to create the environment for empowerment. Um, there was a study that talked about the fact that um, when people feel excluded, that the same endorphins that come out when you have pain are the same ones that you feel or that come out when you feel like you've been left out. So pain actually, for being, uh, not being included and being excluded actually hurts physically. So, you know, creating that environment where people feel like they're included, they're at the table, their voice is heard, creates an environment where people feel like they can go for it. Um, and that empowerment really comes full circle. So I'm going to bring up an observation. And I've been debating whether to do this, but this question just seems to lend to it. So I've been at Boeing two years, as I said, and one of the things I'm always amazed about no matter who is this who the speaker is whether it's dr hyslip our, our uh you know chief engineer or whether it's our ceo or whoever it is whenever they're speaking and we have the opportunity to have microphones in the audience there are always people lined up so so the question was about empowerment so you're empowered to ask questions of us today i'd love to hear from your voice and not that number that's on the screen over here. <laughs> well, no, there's, there's, there's a real seriousness here, right? Because this room is psychologically safe for you to ask questions. And a lot of you are Boeing and a lot of you aren't. And I want to hear from everyone. So, oh, there right. you go. Courage. So that's my point. You empower yourself. You didn't have to wait for me to give you permission. And trust me, your voice is much better than the voice that you're going to hear from up here. Well, on this side, that side's good. <laughs> but, but we want to hear from you. So uh, over to the microphone. Thank you for listening to 
Turning Disruptors into Enablers, Part 1, a professional development seminar, presented by the Boeing Company, featuring Vice President, Global Head of Talent, Michael Cox, Vice President of Information Technology, Denise Russell Fleming, Vice President and General Manager, Kristen Robertson, Interim Director, IT and Data Analytics, David Canada, and Chief Engineer and CTO, Raynard Turpin. If you've enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.bea.org. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.